Grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Exile Cast for Tuesday, August 17th, in the year of our Lord 2021. As we get started here today, my heart has just been very heavy this week, um, particularly for the people of Haiti who have been hit with yet another devastating earthquake. It seems like every year it's an earthquake or a hurricane or something. It's just a a poor little country. And sometimes I wonder how much they can take. I think we also need to be praying for the people in Afghanistan, where it seems that the Taliban are once again conquering the Afghani people. And that means a lot of tough things, you know? Um, Especially for women over there and people are going to be arguing for a long time whether it's the right decision or not and I I have no idea I just know that there are people suffering and wherever people are suffering I know God is there in the midst of all that with them You know, we also need to be renewing our prayers for our own healthcare workers um, who are getting inundated at their hospitals right now. Um, ICUs are starting to fill up, especially in the South. I have a friend who is a chaplain down there, and she said that they had to even put a child on a helicopter the other day just to get that kid where they needed to go to get some medicine. Um, the Delta variant is filling up the ICUs and I'm worried about it coming to Ohio. I'm worried about those folks that are dying needless deaths everywhere. I think if you're listening to this already, you're probably vaccinated. Um, if you're not, you know I encourage you to do so. Consider wearing a mask when you're indoors in public. Um, Consider uh, just being a little bit more cautious. None of us want to think about this stuff again. Uh, We want to put the pandemic behind us, but it's just not behind us yet. And yeah, we can talk about who to blame for that, but in the meantime, people are dying. And we need to be praying for those folks. We need to um, be helping out their families wherever we can. And we need to be keeping one another safe. Uh, We can play the blame game when it's all over. But for now, um, we got to be Christ's hands and feet. At the same time, I realize that even in the midst of the somber and difficult moments of life, we have to stop and give God thanks and praise, do we not? 
we stop to give our thanks to God even in the midst of difficult times because we happen to be a peculiar people. Peculiar in the fact that we believe that the world is inherently good. <laughs> Right? Most other folks walking out there think that the world is inherently bad or at the best inherently neutral and we have to build good things on top of it. It's Christians who at their core understand that at the very center of the world is peace and grace and unity. That the pain and the darkness are ephemeral. But the core of our being, the ground of our existence, is God's goodness. This past week we celebrated the Feast of the Virgin Mary. This is the day when Christians all over the world recall one very special young woman, perhaps only 14 or 15 years old, who responded to God's call to give birth to light in a world full of darkness. This morning we ask that God would grant us all her faith and her grit, the faithfulness of an unwed teenage mother, called to bear holiness in her very body. May you, too, see it as your mission to give birth to Christ in the world. Our gospel lesson today is again from John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. And just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and then died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wish to preach to you today from the title, one holy pancake. One holy pancake. Please stick around.
In case you can't tell just by looking at me, I come from a family of food. I come from one of those families where food is our currency of love. Do you know what I mean by that? For us, food uh, isn't about, oh, say, nutrition or anything like that. Food is um, a language by which we express our love to one another. Truth be told, we've never been the most physically affectionate family, and, and, and some of us might even have trouble expressing our feelings with words, but we've always been fluent in the language of flavor. For instance, a few years ago, my sister made my grandmother's old recipe for tort cake as a birthday gift for my big brother. I still think about it to this day, and that tort cake is undoubtedly the richest food I have ever eaten. When my grandmother died, most of us just Supposed we'd never get a chance to, to eat it again, that it was, it was part of our distant memory. A tort made with uh, like four cups of oil, six layers, two dozen eggs. But then one day there it was. My sister replicated the recipe. And in that simple act, she expressed the love that she had for my brother, and in a very real, intangible way, she resurrected the sacred memory of my grandmother. Do you see that? Do you see how food is able to connect us almost better than words, right? Better than Poetry, certainly better than a gift certificate stuffed into a greeting card. Food can reach across boundaries. It can reach into the very deepest part of who we are, and food can even reach back in time. Another example is my father. My dad is not exactly known for his culinary expertise, okay? You can just ask my mom. But growing up on Sunday mornings after church, uh, we always had some options of food that he would make us. Sometimes he would make oatmeal. Sometimes it was uh, cream of wheat. And then sometimes, on really great days, it was pancakes. Now, you gotta understand, my dad's pancakes are not the, the big, thick, fluffy pancakes so many people like. Uh, not the kind of pancakes you'd get at IHOP or anything like that. My dad's pancakes were almost paper-thin, three or four inches across, 
And they have this, this wonderful crispy edge all the way around them. And this earthy flavor that I've never tasted in a pancake anywhere else. And you know what? Truth be told, I will probably never taste that same flavor anywhere else because that distinct flavor is totally dependent on one thing, which is my father's cast iron skillet. Well, what can be so important about a skillet, you ask? Well, no self-respecting pancake chef uses a non-stick, tea-fowl wonder pan. No, when you're doing something like that, what you want is something heavy and black and forged in a fire by an old Amish guy somewhere. But really, that's not even enough, because if you want your pancakes to be really special, then you have to season your skillet. Y'all know what I mean when I speak of seasoning a skillet? For those who don't know, seasoning a skillet is a long and, shall we say, less than sanitary process. After you use it, you see, you can't just scrub a cast iron skillet like you would with all your other pans. You don't use any soap and you never, ever put it in the dishwasher. No, all you want to do is give that skillet a quick wipe, maybe a coat of olive oil, and then put it back in the cupboard, right? Well, Vicar, that's disgusting. You gotta sanitize it. There's residue on there, bacteria. You're essentially tell me, telling me to put the pan away dirty. Well, yeah, <laughs> but that's what you want. You want to leave just a little bit of an oily residue on the surface of that skillet so that every time you use it over the years, that residue builds up. Layer after layer, week after week, meal after meal, until it literally fuses with the iron itself. And the whole time, the flavor of the food that it's making changes and it evolves, adding complexity and taste until everything that you cook on that skillet becomes infused with the flavor and the aroma of meals past. In that skillet, history meets the present. Heritage comes to rest in the current moment. You see, every Sunday morning, we didn't just have a meal eating those pancakes on that Sunday morning. No, we could taste something from every meal on every Sunday morning. 
the ancient residue making the pancakes ring with the flavor of our family love, every bite rich with the memories and the gravity of a lifetime of Sunday mornings. But none of it would have been possible if we didn't come back to that table, if we didn't come expecting something weak after week, after week. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Man, why? Why does Jesus have to be so offensive? What a ridiculous thing to say. At least that's what we talked about in our Wednesday night Bible study, right? Uh, why does Jesus say these crazy things? Why does Jesus put this teaching in the most ridiculous and, and uncomfortable and gross terminology possible. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. What is this, some kind of a cult? What are we doing here? Of course, saying something like that is going to make the, the Pharisees and, and, and the other Jewish followers that he had angry, of course, Half of his followers are going to turn right around and leave. You're never going to attract a crowd talking like that, right? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Why doesn't he make it a little more easy? A little more palatable. He could have said something like, Hey guys, so uh, there's this meal. There's this little ritual with bread and, and wine that I want you to do. And, and he could have said, well, now this is going to sound crazy, but hang in there with me. Eternal life is kind of like eating my flesh and drinking my blood. But let me explain, right? He does none of that. He puts it all in the most stark and unforgiving terms possible and just lets it sit there. Almost like he was trying to be offensive. Well, maybe he was. That's, that's sort of the conclusion we, we kind of came to in our Bible study, most of us anyway, that, that when you read this particular story in the context of what's happening in the Gospel of John, then it, it does look like he's just frustrated at that moment. If you remember, we've been working our way through this part of the Gospel of John, and a few weeks ago, we heard about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Where Jesus feeds the crowds with just five loaves and two fish, somehow miraculously multiplying that, that food for a whole lot of people who were there. 
a small army. Now what you got to know is that these folks who came to follow Jesus by the Sea of Galilee were poor. They were living in what we call a sustenance-based economy, which means that for most people back then, you would work all day to get enough food to eat that day. So that meant that the average laborer didn't have anything left over, couldn't build Wealth certainly couldn't store food, had to hope that, that their body would stay healthy so that they could feed themselves tomorrow. So then you can imagine how a guy giving away free food down by the lake might get a lot of attention, right? And so the crowds come after him after he feeds them. And he gets into his boat and he, he pushes himself off into the lake. We, we read about this a couple weeks ago. And, and they shout to him from the beach. I, I think he's worried they're just going to swim out to that boat. So he sails all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee just to put some distance between him and the crowd. And you know what the crowd does? They walk all the way around and find him on the other side. And he confronts the crowd and he says, look, you're not following me because you want me. You're following me because you want your fill of the loaves. Remember we talked about that two weeks ago? Uh, the, the spiritual Twinkies, they wanted the stuff. That, that, that fills them up and, and makes them feel good inside, the empty calories, the, the sustenance for that day. But Jesus says, I'm trying to fill you with something good. I'm trying to nourish you with something real. And so finally you do. You get the sense that he is so frustrated here that he... He reaches down and, and, and pulls out the most offensive language possible to talk about what he's trying to do. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You want life? You're going to have to take it from me. You want to be sustained? Then you're going to have to gorge yourself on me. By the way, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That um, happens to be an idiom in the world of ancient Greek. Uh, it was meant to um, refer to someone who was harassing or exasperating someone else. To, to completely deplete them of their energy. It's kind of like today, if you're, let's say, a new parent, or um, you've got a sick baby, or a fussy toddler, and you're trying to keep up with the house and with work, and you, you, you just can't get it all together, you might say something like, oh, these kids are bleeding me dry, right? 
Now we know that your kids aren't actually vampires. Oh, these kids, they have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They have to consume me. They have to live off of me. So at the same time, the same time that it seemed like Jesus was just frustrated or that he was being offensive or sarcastic, we also know that this point in the story is a little bit of foreshadowing, right? That it was looking forward to that moment when the crowds really would suck him dry. When he really would be consumed. When his flesh would be broken and his blood would be spilled, not just by them, but by us. By our parents and our children. By the sins of the whole world. And so we know that Jesus is the meal for all those who hunger. Amen? Amen. For all those who need sustenance, that, 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 that it's there to fill us up, but it's also there to get us through our moments, right? The difficulties that are right in front of us. We celebrate communion you see, because we want to welcome Jesus into the very deepest part of who we are. When we taste that bread and wine, when we swallow it and make it part of us, it, 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 it's not just some empty ritual or some thoughtless act or even some uh, piece of sentimentality. No, in that moment, we join ourselves vertically to God, but also horizontally with every struggling soul who ever found solace in this simple feast. When we commune, we join every martyr who freely went to their death knowing that because they had the body and the blood of Christ, they could find the courage to face the stoning or the guillotine or even the cross. We join with every pregnant mother who was comforted by the idea that the body of Christ was not only inside her, but inside the still-growing, fragile body of her unborn child. We join with every depressed and mournful person who found the strength to live another day because they knew that Christ gave himself for them and for all of us. We like to argue about what communion means, right? That argument more than any other has uh, split churches and created new denominations throughout time. 
Does it transform into the body and blood of Christ? Is it a symbol, a sign, uh, a remembrance? We throw out words in the theological world like transubstantiation, consubstantiation. But the thing is, all these things miss the point. The point, my friends, is the connection that it establishes. The connection, if you will, across time and space. The connection between Christ and the world he came to save. Between those of us who need saving and the only one who has what we need to save us. It's not magic. It's not vampirism or cannibalism or anything like that. It's a family meal. It's a Sunday morning meal cooked with love that resurrects the past and gives us strength to face the future. It is, in a word, communion. And that, my friends, is what this exasperated world so desperately needs right now. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, I just have a couple messages before I let you go for today. The first one is that if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, um, if it has touched some part of your soul and you're not connected with our congregation, I'd like to invite you to make a small donation to the church. I'm going to put the link to our PayPal page in the description of this podcast episode. If you would click click that link and donate $5, $10, whatever it is, we could really use that help right now. Like so many churches, we are struggling financially in the midst of this pandemic. Like we haven't struggled for years. And if you have found some modicum of grace in listening to this podcast week after week, um, maybe you could find it in yourself somewhere uh, to make a small sacrifice for the sake of our congregation. The second thing that I want to announce is that um, I'm going to be taking a spiritual renewal leave in October and into November. It's going to be about six weeks. I sent out all the details in an email to the congregation. I also um, posted some things on Facebook about it. If you want to take a look at our church Facebook page, it's right there. Um, I'm really thankful to have this opportunity 
because it has been a very difficult 18 months and I'm gonna work on my book um, I'm going to work on my bonsai trees my wife and I are going to California to see her brother for a week and maybe my nephew and um, I just ask for your prayers that it would be a time of refreshment um, that I would meet God in a new way and that I would connect uh, through worship you know I'm going to get the chance to go to Sunday services at other churches for six weeks and I am so excited about that because I never get to just go to church you know so this is really going to be a, uh, a great thing, and it's going to be good for our congregation. You know, the congregation has had no, uh, no shortage of my voice in their lives throughout the last 18 months. But what they've had is a shortage of one another, you know? What they need each other right now is each other. And hopefully this will pull me out of the equation and give everyone a chance to uh, reconnect and renew some of those relationships that have been put on the back burner during this difficult time. You know, we live in a culture where too often we are expected to just uh, walk it off, you know, to, to drink a big cup of coffee and push the exhaustion aside and entertain the illusion that we can be unstoppable and indestructible. But I'm here today to tell you that's a lie. And it is a lie straight from the pit of hell. No, we are fragile creatures, my friends. We are mortal. We are ephemeral. And sometimes we all need care. But where we are weak, God is strong. Amen? Where we are weak, God is strong. And now may the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, go with you and be with you, now and always. Amen. Grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis. And this is Exile Cast for Friday, the 27th of August, in the year of our Lord, 2021. So I think it was Henry Nowen that said something like Jesus changes our personal histories from a series of random sad incidents and accidents 
into a constant opportunity for a change of heart. I think I had one of those moments in the form of this amazing and awful and beautiful and painful conversation just the other day. And you know I can't get into the details for you, but let me say that someone heard the sermon that you're about to hear right now. And after that, they were moved to come to the office and see me and to have a difficult conversation. And it was difficult. I, I, I think um, we were both a little nervous going in and I, I, I can tell you that I cried a little bit um, and it was tough but it really cleared the air in some beautiful ways. Afterward, as the person left and drove away, all I could think was, wow, what a downright hero move, especially in our culture today, to have a problem with someone and to come and to talk about that problem calmly, seeking to understand, seeking to reconcile, seeking the grace and peace that we're always talking about. It's such an amazing thing in our society when someone does that. When someone embraces a kind of constructive conflict, when someone is driven by love or the Holy Spirit to enter into what could potentially be a, a, a very painful conversation, and yet they obey that call that they hear. They have that talk. They put themselves out there and allow themselves to be vulnerable. That's such a rarity, even within the church. And when it happens, it feels like it's almost a miracle. You know what an Ebenezer is? An Ebenezer is when someone marks a place with a stone or an altar because something miraculous happened there, because they had some kind of encounter with God in that space at that time. Well, this morning, I want to take a moment and raise an Ebenezer for the conversation that we had the other day. This person was an inspiration to me, and I hope this little story, as well as the sermon you're about to hear, will inspire you as well. Today's Gospel passage is from John chapter 6, verses 56 through 69. Hear the word of the Lord. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and died. 
but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe. And who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, there you have it, folks. Three scary words. I hope uh, these words found some soil in your heart. I hope that in time they take root and they grow as we live and move forward as a community, both here in our church and wherever this podcast is heard and on YouTube. Um, we are still one body, united in Christ. And now may the love of God the Father the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you, now and always. Amen. <laughs>